Welcome to the Ignite Your Teaching video podcast, a show to inspire teachers to level up how they teach using simple systems and time-saving tools for their classrooms. I'm your host, Patty Firth, mom of three, wife, and a teacher who has spent the last 10 years transforming my love of teaching into helping other teachers learn how to fit it all together through innovative resources and solutions for elementary classrooms over at madlylearning.com. So, are you ready to ignite your teaching? So many teachers say, my students can't do inquiry. And often this comes from a understanding of inquiry being just one type of learning and that they can't necessarily do this open-ended free-for-all that many of us assume is inquiry-based learning. So I want to talk to you today about the four different types of inquiry-based learning, how they're different, how they're the same, and how there is a type of inquiry that all students can participate in. Now, the reality is, is that inquiry-based learning is something that we need to build up to. It is a level of getting kids to work independently in our classrooms. So I want to dig into the four different types of inquiry and how you can use them in your classroom, regardless of your students' ability levels right now. Welcome to the Ignite Your Teaching video podcast, where we help elementary teachers to make good teaching easy again. I'm your host, Patty Firth, mom of three, wife, and experienced classroom teacher who has made it my mission to help other teachers establish efficient routines, find effective solutions, and deliver engaging lessons over at madlylearning.com. So are you ready to ignite your teaching? So what is inquiry-based learning? Inquiry-based learning is where we empower students to ask questions, to be curious. It's about leading with the question. It encourages our students to lead with problem solving and critical thinking skills. These are going to be the skills that our students are probably going to be using the most as adults when they are finally in the workforce, because we have tools and technology that can do a lot of the basic day-to-day tasks. So we want students to follow things that they're curious about, ask questions, and being able to find answers. We can do that whether they're following their own passions or whether they're digging into concepts that we're required to cover through our curriculum standards. Inquiry-based learning is helpful because it allows our students to dig deeper and find more meaningful understandings in the concepts that they're learning, which has positive outcomes on their ability to understand in a much deeper way what it is that we're learning so that there is some enduring learning that happens that is not just simply an in one ear and out the other type of situation. Now, the first form of inquiry is going to be the structured inquiry. Now, a structured inquiry has a lot of teacher support in it. It's often the beginning type of inquiry-based learning that most teachers will begin with and most students will feel comfortable with. It follows some predetermined steps that allow students to be guided Through this structured process, this can happen whether it's in science and you're guiding students through the scientific inquiry one step at a time, or through social studies as you are leading students through a historical event. In a structured inquiry, the teacher will break down the learning into manageable chunks and steps and allow students to explore and discover things that they are learning one step at a time. The key here is, is that we're not leading with answers. We're not simply just telling our students what the answer is. 
in a structured inquiry, we are leading them through the path to discover the answer to the question that we are posing. So we may pose a question at the beginning of our science lesson, and we aren't giving students the answer. This is a lot different than, say, just giving them a reading and having them answer some comprehension questions at the end. That is a very low-level cognitive task that we would ask students to do. Sure, they may be able to regurgitate the answer, but you're most likely going to have just them having the information going in one ear and out the other, and it's not really going to have them transfer that learning into anything meaningful, which will then just compound itself as the work they're doing gets more difficult year after year after year, where they're not really learning much. They're simply just going through the motions of school. So when we're taking a structured inquiry approach, we are guiding them step by step. But our method, our purpose is to allow them to figure things out in a very structured, linear way. We are posing the question. We are asking them to observe what is happening, draw some conclusions. We're leading them with leading questions to help them uncover the conclusions that are supposed to be drawn from this experiment. Having students going this motion of a structured inquiry approach, it's starting to activate their thinking and their brains to think differently about how they can learn. Now, the very first time you do this, this is going to feel re like you're pulling teeth as a teacher. And for students, it's going to feel really awkward because you're not giving them the answer, especially if students are so familiar with just being given answers or having to just simply regurgitate answers. If that is the process that they're used to, having you lead them through this activity is going to feel really strained at first. The more you do it, the more you coach them through this process and sort of teach them how to think, teach them how to think critically, teach them how to question, teach them how to draw conclusions. The more practice they get with this methodology of teaching, the easier it will become. Once they start to be able to do this in a structured way, then we can look at delving a little bit deeper into the second type of inquiry, now, although we have the structured approach, the next approach that we will scaffold our students into inquiry is going to be the guided inquiry approach. Like a structured inquiry, the guided inquiry approach also has a high level of teacher support. However, students may not necessarily all be following the exact same path as they would through a structured inquiry. So if you're following a structured inquiry and you're using an experiment where there's a clear set of steps, a guided inquiry may have more options for students to follow, but the teacher is still there every step of the way. This is a great second step for your inquiry because it allows you as the teacher to sort of go through step by step what the inquiry process is. Maybe you have um, a booklet where you have students asking questions. You are modeling that for them. I do this a lot in social studies where we scaffolded, scaffolded, scaffold the learning and help students walk through each step of the inquiry process. And along the way, we're conferencing, we're checking in, we're making sure that students are on the right track and 
following sort of those steps that need to be followed. This guided inquiry approach is great for students who are curious, teachers who are starting to feel more comfortable with having some groups of students doing different topics or different things. This is where not every student is doing the exact same activity. Perhaps you've given students the option to ask questions in your social studies topic, like which government or how does the government help people? And maybe they look for different types of ways we brainstorm as a group, different ways governments help people. We look at healthcare, maybe education, maybe we look at the Ministry of of Defense, how we help global communities. Maybe we brainstorm as a group all of those topics. We ask some questions and then we narrow down that field as a group. Students are still generating those questions. They're still highly participating in that content. It's not only teacher-directed. Students are involved in that process, but there is some limits and some containers that the teacher is holding. Then we allow students to sort of explore within those parameters and we help to scaffold them through each one of those steps. One of the activities I like to use a guided inquiry is in my matter unit. I ask students to choose something in their kitchen, a food item, and discover how it was made. We often will look at how it's made videos to sort of look for the structure that students would need to follow. We model how margarine or how a piece of bread is made from the field all the way to the to your breakfast table. We model that for students to learn those steps and then they choose their own food item and figure out how that food item was made from beginning to end. And I like that in the matter unit because it allows them to understand that most products that are pulled from the field have to be transformed into something else before we consume them. So we want to look at that. Now we're, they're limited in what they're looking for. We have modeled it so they know the parameters. We're scaffolding every step along the way that students can explore, but yet every student is exploring something slightly different. So it's okay for students to be trying different things. Not every student is researching the exact same thing, and that's okay. The other element of a guided inquiry that may help some teachers feel a bit more comfortable is where the teacher provides all of the research that students are required to use in order to conduct their inquiry. One of the activities I like to use this approach for is through having students learn about the different treaty negotiations that happened in the building of Canada. Having students read and learn and making sure that that information is often very difficult for students to access independently. So what I like to do is I like to make sure that students have access to all of the resources that they require in order to be able to answer their questions. So when we look at the questions that they're going to ask, such as what are some of the treaties and what how were they negotiated, having them figure out what the treaties were, were they fair, no, um, what were the conditions, what was happening, having all of that available to students so that they can research that information and answer those questions 
but the information that they're learning is all guided and structured in the parameters of what it is they're researching. But again, because it's inquiry, I'm not telling them all of the answers to those questions. They're finding the answers to those questions, and then we discuss. Inquiry, a lot of the time, is really just a flipping of how you approach the teaching strategies that you are so used to using. Instead of front-loading and giving students every piece of information that they possibly need before they're ever allowed to do any work or draw any conclusion, we lead with questions. We lead with prompts. We allow our students to discover some of the answers, have them uncover and find have them have some experiences. And then the important part is we have to consolidate and have them make meaning of the things that they're seeing and learning and experiencing. Another type is problem-based inquiry. Now, this is where we start with a problem and we try to come up with solutions as to how to solve that problem. There's lots of different options that students can engage in. These are problems that we can try to solve, come up with solutions. One of the ideas that I think this would be a great approach with is in the grade five content of um, energy conservation. This would also be a good topic or a good approach inquiry when you're coming to soil and soil erosion. You have a problem, especially if you are going to teach them about erosion and you model for them what erosion looks like and you have like a class sandbox model that you can model that erosion for them and then have them come up with possible solutions to have them fix that problem. Another one I really like to do in conservation of energy is with the ice cube and trying to build something that will slow down the rate that that ice cube melts. You present a problem to your students and you give them some strategies, some tools, some parameters But you let them explore and experiment with the types of solutions that they can come up with and then draw conclusions based on their solutions. So did using tinfoil to wrap around an ice cube, did that have any effect on the speed in which that ice cube melted? Putting up a barrier to stop the soil from moving, did that have any effect? What was more effective? Was a styrofoam cup more effective than tinfoil, more effective than using paper towels or tape or whatever it is that they come up with, which strategy is going to be most effective? There's a lot of valuable things that can happen in that problem-solving-based approach to inquiry. Now, we can't just leave the problem and have them come up with solutions and not have that consolidation piece and the explanation as to why those problems can be solved. So why, when I put my ice cube in styrofoam, Does it slow down its melting over just putting it on a paper plate? What is it about the styrofoam? How can we explain that scientifically for our students? That happens in the consolidation piece, which is exactly why inquiry is a bit of a flip from what we would traditionally do. In a traditional lesson, we would teach students all of the information they would possibly need to know about how we would slow down the melting of an ice cube then students would just make something and then they would describe it and talk about it. In an inquiry, it's flipped. We start with the problem, but we don't necessarily explain any of the phenomenon that they would need to know. We have them experiment and discover which material 
is the best to keep the ice cube frozen for as long as possible. Then once they have that knowledge and they figured it out, we then talk about the why. And it's that curiosity that solving that problem prompts to have them need to understand the why. And when we flip that instruction, instead of front loading everything with all of the facts and information and then simply explaining, having them explain, well, why is styrofoam going to be a better option than a paper plate? You could do that traditional way without ever touching an ice cube, a paper plate or styrofoam. You could just have them read an article and then answer a question based on it, but they've never actually experienced it which is why using the inquiry approach is number one, more engaging, and it's going to be more enduring and have students actually learn the content because they are trying to solve it and figure it out. And kids love solving problems. The final type of inquiry is probably the one that makes most teachers uncomfortable, and that is an open-ended inquiry approach. This is where students are truly 100% in the lead, And they are discovering things that are very interesting to them and sort of doing a self-guided project. A lot of the times, if you have any experience with a genius hour, a genius hour is where students are just simply picking a topic that is interesting to them and they are exploring that independently and they are learning about it, researching about it and writing about it and teaching others about it and everyone sort of going in a different direction. The teacher in a guided in the teacher in an open-ended inquiry really is not doing the ton of instructing. They are conferencing with students, meeting with them, asking questions, helping to push a little bit further. Now, this is something that sounds really scary, but doesn't have to be. I often use an open inquiry approach for my writing instruction in my classroom all of the time. Students have the ability to choose the things that they want to write about, how they want to write about them, and when they want to write about them. This is open-ended. They have lots of choice, lots of options, and my job is to teach them along the way different strategies to help improve and refine their approach and refine their skills, but also allow them to sort of explore them on their own while I guide and coach on the side. So I hope that's giving you some ideas of how inquiry can be used differently all through your classroom and how the four different types of inquiry all can be integrated in really meaningful ways in your room.